If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of May 21, 2023. The podcast that's in danger of being crushed by a dwarf. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's circumtriplicate the news of the bogus. More drama in the Hunter Biden cover-up. The IRS has removed the entire investigative team involved in the probe, which at this point has lasted for years in what a whistleblower describes as retaliation. The whistleblower's lawyer sent a letter to Congress saying, Today, the IRS criminal supervisory special agent we represent was informed that he and his entire investigative team are being removed from the ongoing and sensitive investigation of the high-profile, controversial subject about which our client sought to make whistleblower disclosures to Congress. He was informed the change was at the request of the Department of Justice. In April, the whistleblower, a senior IRS agent, accused the Biden administration of obstructing the investigation. He reported to Congress, quote, preferential treatment in politics improperly infecting decisions and protocols that would normally be followed by career law enforcement professionals in similar circumstances if the subject were not politically connected. The new letter reads, On April 27, 2023, IRS Commissioner Daniel Werfel appeared before the House Committee on Ways and Means. He testified, I can say without any hesitation, there will be no retaliation for anyone making an allegation or call to a whistleblower hotline. However, this move is clearly retaliatory and may also constitute obstruction of a congressional inquiry. Our client has a right to make disclosures to Congress. Any attempt by any federal official to prevent a federal employee from furnishing information to Congress is also a direct violation of long-standing appropriations restriction. Furthermore, 18 U.S.C. Section 1505 makes it a crime to obstruct an investigation of Congress. The removal of the team came just hours after the report of Special Counsel John Durham, in which he stated the FBI should never have opened the Trump-Russia investigation that we were extremely skeptical of since day one, and reported that they never had any evidence of collusion between Trump or anyone else on his team and Russian intelligence agencies. NBC also reported that within the FBI there was, quote, growing frustration over the fact that U.S. attorneys have not yet brought charges against Hunter Biden after they finished their investigations last year. A different whistleblower said that the FBI has a file saying that Joe Biden accepted bribes as vice president. When House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer issued a subpoena for it, the FBI refused to turn it over. Meanwhile, they're still prosecuting Trump for paying hush money to a porn star. Does anyone else have a feeling that all of this is going to come to a head soon? If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you created Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. 
Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. With the Supreme Court's review of the Chevron Doctrine upcoming, and hopefully we'll cover that when it happens, they seem to have fired a shot across the bow in Axon VFTC, which has questioned the legitimacy of federal administration adjudications process. Basically, if you want to sue a federal department, you first have to take it to that agency. In a way, it makes sense. See if you can work it out with them first before you bring it into court. But the devil, of course, is in the details. As we've covered on several occasions, what you really get is a one-sided attack forum where you're basically forced to give them all the details of your case beforehand. The proceedings are overseen by an administrative law judge. Despite the name, administrative law judge is not a judicial branch judge. It's an executive position. And that's the big issue. What is the executive branch doing wielding judicial power and hamstringing the entirety of the Article III courts to appellate power? More concerningly, these ALJs are afforded tenure protections which don't even make them accountable to the president. That's what they considered in this case, consolidated from two cases, Axon Enterprise Incorporated v. Federal Trade Commission and Securities and Exchange Commission v. Cochrane. The issue is, what if it's a constitutional claim challenging the validity of the process itself? Both of these cases were dismissed at the district court level for lack of jurisdiction. On appeal, the Fifth Circuit found for Cochrane and the Ninth Circuit ruled against Axon. So it went to the Supreme Court to figure it out. And they did. Unanimously, district courts absolutely have jurisdiction to consider constitutional challenges to agency enforcement actions, and anything less would be a violation of constitutional separation of powers. Elena Kagan wrote the opinion of the court, which was based on the Thunder Basin factors set up in Thunder Basin Cole v. Reich, which set up a balance of factors that would determine whether a case should be heard by an ALJ or by a district court. The three factors are, would using the ALJ foreclose all meaningful judicial review? In other words, by the time it's all said and done, would it be too late for the court to correct any harm done by an unconstitutional decision by the ALJ? Second, is the claim collateral to the provisions of statutory review? And third is, is it outside the agency's area of expertise? And the unanimous court found that these applied and that the district court should hear the cases. Clarence Thomas's concurrence is the more interesting, quote, I have grave doubts about the constitutional propriety of Congress vesting administrative agencies with primary authority to adjudicate core private rights with only deferential judicial review on the back end. And he pointed out the inherent inequity, quote, Agencies like the SEC and FTC combine the functions of investigator, prosecutor, and judge under one roof. They employ relaxed rules of procedure and evidence, rules they make for themselves. The numbers reveal just how tilted this game is. 
that review is available in a court of appeals after an agency completes its work hardly makes up for a day in court before an agency says it's done. When a case eventually makes its way to an appellate court, judges sometimes defer to the agency's conclusions, especially when it comes to disputed questions of fact. And how many people can afford to carry a case that far anyway? He concluded, In an appropriate case, we should consider whether such schemes and the appellate review model they embody are constitutional methods for the adjudication of private rights. In another concurrence, Neil Gorsuch said he would have overturned Thunder Basin entirely, quote, When Congress withholds jurisdiction, we must respect its choice. But when Congress grants jurisdiction to the nation's courts, we must respect that choice, too. We have no authority to froth plain statutory text with factors of our own design, all with an eye to denying some people the day in court the law promises them. Respectfully, this court should be done with the Thunder Basin Project. I hope it will be soon. So hopefully this will mean a big change in how administrative litigation goes and the right of people to Article 3 judicial review of agency action across the board will be affirmed. We can hope, at least. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. This is one of those what-the-hell-were-they-thinking moments. While the Internet Assigned Numbers Authority has been having a blast this past decade or so assigning new top-level domains beyond the traditional .com, .org, .net, and various others, there are now over 1,500 all total. They somehow thought it would be a good idea to use .zip for digital storage entities and .mov for digital video. You probably also noticed that those are common file extensions. Therein lies the problem. With Google offering registration for these to pretty much anyone, many online platforms will recognize these as links and convert them into URLs. Follow this. Someone sends someone else a DM or something about their vacation video. They write, I just sent you myvacation.mov. The website turns that into a link, but it won't be to that person's video. It'll be to a website hosted at that domain. So the receiver naturally thinks they can watch the movie by clicking the link. They do so, but get this website instead. If that domain has been grabbed by a malicious actor, then that person will be sent to their domain and have lots of lovely malware put on their device. So this isn't just about being confusing. 
It's about basic cybersecurity. And this is not theoretical. Silent Push Labs has already discovered phishing pages for a domain appearing to be Microsoft Office. Go there, and you get a fake Microsoft sign-in, and filling it out will send your password to the hackers. As usual, by the time the good guys think of it, the bad guys have already implemented it. Researchers have also demonstrated using Unicode to fake URLs. An example bleeping computer gives is hard to describe, but you can see it in the show notes. Basically, it's http colon slash slash github.com and then the usual slashes to the archive site slash at sign somedomain.zip. It looks very much like the ordinary URL to a zip release for the repository, but after the github.com, none of the slashes are actual slashes. They're Unicode fraction slashes. And the at sign is a user info delimiter, which means you're really going to somedomain.zip, and the github.com and the rest of the stuff is one long username. It looks like a link to GitHub, but it's really a link to somedomain.zip, a website, not a file. Swift on Security tweeted, Regarding the .zip domains I complained about, I think it's dumb and unnecessarily creates confusion and will lead to various minor phishing schemes, tricks, and address confusion attacks. But it's just going to get forced into being another TLD. It just feels uniquely unneeded. The only reason there's a .zip TLD is because it's funny to confuse people. It markets off the, this used to just be a file extension, and now we changed it because we could. So even if it's not uniquely horrific, it's just not a good action of stewardship, and that's worrying. Changing things because it's funny to upset user expectations is not something we want to see in governing institutions or companies. When Bleeping Computer contacted Google for comment, they just brushed it off. Quote, The risk of confusion between domain names and file names is not a new one. For example, 3M's command products use the domain name command.com, which is also an important program on MS-DOS and early versions of Windows. Applications have mitigations for this, such as Google Safe Browsing, and these mitigations will hold true for TLDs such as .zip. At the same time, new namespaces provide expanded opportunities for naming such as community.zip and url.zip. Google takes phishing and malware seriously, and Google Registry has existing mechanisms to suspend or remove malicious domains across all our TLDs, including .zip. We will continue to monitor the usage of .zip and other TLDs, and if new threats emerge, we will take appropriate action to protect users. In other words, since there are other vulnerabilities, we don't need to worry about this one. So just protect yourself, since you can't rely on anyone else to do it for you. Never click blindly on links, and especially if you get what appears to be a link to a .zip or a .mov file, make sure it's the actual file you want before clicking on it. As if we needed one more thing to keep in mind while online. Do you have children, or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling, or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttletwins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. 
The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I, Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain or regulations passed in the name of safety and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. And now it's time to de-estify this week's biggest bogan emitter. And this week it goes to the state of Montana, which just banned TikTok. Do I really need to say any more? While we're still reminding Republican governors that they're supposed to allow us to keep and bear arms, they seem even more determined to go after the First Amendment as well. It's as if they're all trying to match Ron DeSantis in idiocy, including Greg Abbott of Texas. But Montana Governor Greg Gianfort wants attention now, as if he didn't get enough when he threw a journalist to the ground for asking tough questions. Gianfort pleaded guilty to assault. So we got the TikTok ban. The bill was called Ban TikTok in Montana, so I guess we have to give them partial credit for properly naming a bill. Of course, that also means it's a blatantly unconstitutional bill of attainder. So Gianfort used what under the Montana Constitution is an amendatory veto, where instead of just vetoing the bill, you give an amended version of the bill back to the legislature. He removed all instances of TikTok specifically and made it a more general ban, which may have meant banning all social media in Montana. As it happens, he sent it back too late for the legislature to either pass the amended version or override the veto. So, Gianfort signed it into law anyway. Way to stick to your guns there, Greg. So, beginning next year, TikTok will be unavailable to all Montanans who don't know how to use a VPN. Also, Montana will find TikTok somehow. For basically the crime of existing. He claims it's to protect Montana from user tracking, but what it will do is require TikTok to do user tracking to see if they're from Montana. And again, there's nothing China can get from TikTok that they can't get from any other data broker. It'd be nice if they actually did start protecting our privacy instead of just pretending to. Not that it'll last three seconds in the courts, but in the meantime, it'll just suck up a truckload of taxpayer dollars the state will spend in the process of losing. So all of that makes Montana this week's biggest bogani emitter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one -on -one customer service. 
Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's say this week's Idiot Extraordinary. And this week it goes to police departments all over the land who have once again proven they can't actually be trusted to protect or serve. When police seize phones, just like with all other forms of asset forfeiture, they end up auctioning it off to pad their budgets. When they don't just steal them for themselves, that is. But anyway, we all know to wipe your phone before selling or donating it, right? We all know the importance of that, right? Well, apparently, they don't. The University of Maryland did a study where they purchased 228 smartphones seized and auctioned off by police departments. They found that most of them had not been wiped and they were able to get into 61 of them because the passcode was either non-existent or easily guessable. One even had its passcode still taped to it. Quote, We initially expected that police would never auction these phones as they would enable the buyer to recommit the same crimes as the previous owner. Unfortunately, that expectation has proven false in practice. It's not just about getting their texts, emails, pictures and video, browser and location history, and so on. They got data pertaining to crimes, especially victims. That includes photos of government IDs, meaning they can be easily forged, communications with the clients of sex workers, stolen credit cards, all sorts of things. All for just $18 per phone. What a bargain! Not only that, but a lot of these weren't even the phones of criminals. They were people who had them seized, read stolen, via civil asset forfeiture, so it sweeps up a lot of innocent people's information too. At the very least, this one auction shop started wiping them before selling them as a result of this study. But the police department should be doing that before giving it to them to begin with. And then there are all the other auction houses, both online and local, and direct auctions from police events. I mean, if they seized a filing cabinet, would they keep the documents in it when they auctioned it? So all of that makes these police departments this week's Well, that wraps up this See It, Smell It, Touch It, Kiss It, Kiss It edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from Learned Hand. The First Amendment presupposes that right conclusions are more likely to be gathered out of a multitude of tongues than through any kind of authoritative selection. To many, this is, and always will be, folly. But we have staked upon it our all. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial Derivatives 4.0 International License. Gossip tea.